Warm welcome to you all today. Um, the sunshine, I think, expresses what's in our hearts at being able to gather together once again here in person. And we also welcome those who are joining us from wherever they are joining us in the world uh, at home as they uh, log on to our service today. We trust that God will bless us as we meet together and that we will express our happiness to him in our worship as we worship him together. Just uh, a reminder that uh, envelopes, collection envelopes for the free will offering can now be taken to uh, any of the services that you come to, um, as you know already, I'm sure. But there is just a reminder too that every second Saturday of each month there will be a collection in the MAM Hall uh, while the restrictions take place. There will be a collection every second Saturday, so uh, some of the deacons and office bearers will be there um, to oversee that. Let's begin our worship reading, first of all, from the prophecy of Isaiah and chapter 35. Isaiah chapter 35, and we'll read from the beginning through the chapter. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break out in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. And a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall, be, it shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. We pray that God will follow that reading with his own blessing. Let's now join together in prayer. Let's call upon the Lord. Our gracious and ever-blessed God, as we give thanks for this day, so we give thanks for this occasion when we are able physically to gather together here in this building once again. And we bless you, O Lord, that we come as a people whose desire it is to worship you. We thank you, Lord, as we have read your word already, of how our worship is to be marked with joy and gladness, as well as other elements that characterize our approach to God, as we come in the reverence that is due, and also with the joy in our hearts that expresses itself in worship to God. We bless you, O Lord, for all that makes us content today in your salvation for the way that your salvation contains such elements as make us sing for gladness. 
the reconciliation that you have effected through Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of our sins, our adoption into your own spiritual family, the grace of hope in our hearts towards a better country than this world affords. O Lord, we give thanks today for the reality of these things, for the way that they cause us inwardly uh, to rejoice in your presence. And we bless you today, O Lord, that you are our God, that we want no other to rule our lives but yourself, that we are content, O Lord, with your own sovereign control over our lives and over everything else that we know of in the course of history. Even though there are many things, O Lord, that mystify us, cause us at times to be even perplexed and questioning, yet, O Lord, we do not uh, at any time consider that you are not in control, that you are not the Lord, that you have in any way departed from your great plan that you have set in motion and have had in place from all eternity. We thank you today, O Lord, for each other, for the company of your people, for the fellowship that we enjoy that you have created through your Spirit, and for the many promises that meet us, O Lord, as we gather together in this way, and as we find others joining with this physical meeting. We thank you for their participation, and bless you that they too are able to engage in worship where they are as they join us here. We thank you for the bond that your Spirit creates, that unites your people together, that enables them, Lord, to know of that unity and oneness uh, that no other can break. And we thank you for that assurance that there is no power in heaven or on earth that can actually break the bond that you create through Jesus Christ, through the blessing of your Spirit. And we thank you, Lord, that we anticipate that this will be uh, the, the case for your people forevermore. So bless us, Lord, here we pray. Uh, sanctify us through your word and spirit. Bless your word to our hearts and to our condition and to our situation in life. Grant your blessing to us, O Lord, as we uh, come to think of our place in the world and as we think of our circumstances at this time. So we give thanks, O Lord, for your continued care of us. We pray today for those who have added difficulties in their lives, particularly through this pandemic. Bless, we pray, those who are ill through it. Bless, too, those who have long-term illness with regard to the effects of the COVID. Lord, we ask that you would graciously bless them, too, give their families uh, the grace and the patience and the strength to deal with these situations. We pray for those who have lost loved ones during this past year. We ask, O Lord, that you would use this pandemic, we pray, as you have done in other times, to bring people to know yourself, but to enable us all, O Lord, to realize our dependence upon you, that it is in you that we live and move and have our being, and that we need you, that we are dependent upon you, that we need not and cannot rely upon our own strength. O Lord, teach us your ways and show us your paths, and lead us, we pray, in those ways everlasting, and teach us especially to reverence you, to obey you, to serve you, to love you, and to love your word, to love your law, to love your commands, to love your people, to love others even as we have been loved by you. O Lord God, we ask that all of these 
may be characteristic of our lives too. And we ask that today your word will leave that blessing in our lives by your application of it so that our lives will be the more improved. We pray today for Her Majesty, our Queen, and ask that you will bless her in her time of loss. Lord, we give thanks for the many years that she and her late husband shared together in a long and contented married life. We thank you for his service to the country, for his uh, commitment to duty, for the many things that he engaged in as consort to the Queen, and for his own willingness to serve in that way. Because we know, Lord, that uh, though there may be many opinions of him as a person, we know that he gave such good example of attendance to duty and commitment to service to his country and to his queen and to his family. We bless you today, O Lord, for the queen's leadership in the nation. We ask that you would comfort her at this time. We pray that you would be her God and her stay uh, during this time of sorrow and of loss. You would help us too as a nation as we once again contemplate the death of someone who was so prominent for so many years. O Lord, help us, we pray, to reckon with our own mortality and to realize that whatever position we have in life, it comes to an end. And it comes to an end with a sigh, with a sigh of death, as the psalmist tells us. So help us to be wise, to measure our days and to apply our hearts unto wisdom. So remember us as a people. Remember us, we pray at this time, in our governments in Scotland and elsewhere in the nation. We pray that you'd bless those in leadership over us. And as we come in our nation, Lord, to uh, have uh, a, an election soon um, in Scotland, we pray that you would grant us, Lord, the wisdom and the discernment and the concern to cast our votes wisely and to do so in uh, uh, a way that would recognize our duty in doing so and our privilege in doing so and our, our, our freedom, Lord, that you have given us to elect a government over us. And we ask, O oh Lord, that we may respect these freedoms, that you would help our government itself to honor these freedoms and uh, to hold them dear in their own hearts. And now, Lord, we ask that you would bless us here. Continue, we pray, to bless us as a congregation. And as we think of this evening and as we think of our sister congregation in the High Free, we pray for them as they too begin to meet in person here this evening and with our own online services. Bless them, we pray. Uh, grant your blessing as they uh, seek to begin this once again like ourselves. And so we pray that you would bless all the gatherings of your people today throughout the world. We recognize, Lord, that we uh, are part of a great spiritual family, a number who worship the Lord and who know Christ as Lord. And we pray that we may be conscious of that oneness of the Spirit in the bonds of peace. Hear us, we pray, and forgive our sin for Jesus' sake. Amen. Now, children, I want to just say a word to you. And in John chapter 4, we read that uh, uh, Jesus... Sorry, John, John chapter 6, that should be verse 48. Uh, we read that uh, John chapter 6, verse 68, sorry. Uh, after many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him, Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? 
Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Now, children, this was a time when many of those who had started following Jesus as disciples turned away from him. They stopped following him because they no longer liked or accepted the teaching that he was giving about himself. And the teaching here in John 6 was that he was presenting himself as the one they needed to believe in and to trust in. He talked about his own sacrifice of his death, spoke about shedding his blood and so on. And they couldn't accept this. They thought this was going too far. It was too difficult for them. It wasn't that they didn't understand it, but they just could not accept that you needed to go that far of just trusting your life to this Jesus and that he and he alone would be the saviour. That's what was happening. Many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus then turned to the twelve disciples and he said, do you want to go away as well? And you'll find that today, that in the world that we live in today, there are many people that turn their back on Jesus. That even if they've shown some interest, sadly, they'll come to a point where they turn away from him and they say, well, it's going too far to expect me just to give my whole life to him and to accept him as the only way by which I can be right with God and come into friendship with God. But that's what the Bible tells us we need to be and to do. And so Jesus is really asking me and he's asking you this question today. Do you also want to go away? Are you going to stop following me? Or are you going to go on so that you trust your life to me more and more as each day goes by? That's why this question is so important to us. And it also reveals what Peter thought of Jesus in the way that he answered him. Because he said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. What a wonderful answer Peter gave to the Lord's question. Lord, he said, to whom shall we go? In other words, Peter is really saying, Lord, there is no one else that can give us what you give us, that can be for us what you are to us. In other words, Peter is really saying, Jesus is fully and only the Saviour. And that's what you and I need to say as well to him. To whom else can we go? Where else do we find what you find in Jesus himself? And that's why today, that's uh, how he would want us to answer his question as well. And you notice Peter said, We have believed and come to know. And both these things are important. The believing and coming to know. It's not just a believing with your head certain things that are true, such as you do when you're doing your arithmetic or your mathematics in school. You believe certain things the way you work out the puzzles or the questions. We do have the use of our heads or our brains or our our minds in believing in Jesus. Of course we do. But it's more than that. We We believe, he said, we have come to believe and have come to know That you are the Christ, the Holy One of God. In other words, Peter is talking about coming into a personal 
knowledge of Jesus, to know him as a friend. You know, today if somebody asked you, do you know Boris Johnson? Or do you know Nicola Sturgeon? You would say, most of us would say, well, I know who he is, I know who she is, but I don't know them. I've never met them, I haven't got a personal relationship with them. And this is what Peter is saying. We have come to know you, Lord. We have come into this personal knowledge and relationship with you. And that's what a Christian is. Somebody who knows Jesus has come to believe and to know that he is the Savior. So I hope you today, children, will be able to say this for yourselves. And as you grow up, that you'll be able to say it more and more. As Jesus asks the question, will you also go away? That you'll say, no, where else can I go? To whom else can I go? You have the words of eternal life. Now let's pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now our second reading is from the Gospel of Mark, and that's in chapter 7, and this is the passage we're going to spend some time looking at this morning. Mark chapter 7, and at verse 31. This is Jesus uh, returning from Tyre and Sidon, where he had met with this Syrophoenician woman, uh, this woman of Canaan in the previous verses. And at verse 31, then he returned from the region of Tyre and Sidon and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue. Looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. So as we continue looking at the miracles of Jesus, we've done quite a number of them previously, as we do so we come to this one here, which um, um, is in its own category, uh, uh, in its own category has some remarkable features of it. Due to the wonders of, of modern technology and surgery, we find that people who have been born deaf can actually come to have a fair measure of hearing through the likes of cochlear implants. And it's wonderful to, to see a child who has been born deaf coming to have a cochlear implant, then coming to hear sounds, and then coming to articulate speech, which improves as time goes on, as he's able or she's able to pick up what they hear others uh, saying in conversation. But that takes time. Uh, the 
implant itself needs to be adjusted from time to time. The volume needs to be slowly, gradually turned up. The sounds become somewhat more um, distinguishable as uh, the listening goes on, as the thing improves. So it takes a measure of time. And even as the person begins to speak, it's obvious to begin with that they've got difficulty in forming the words and the sounds. But that too improves as time goes on. So it's a wonderful thing, but it does take such a a long time, understandably. How different is this case with Jesus? Instantly, the moment Jesus speaks, this man who was deaf and had a bad speech impediment because of that, instantly hears and instantly is able to speak. And it presents us again with the fact that this Jesus, this miracle-working Jesus, is far more than a miracle worker. Because you find coming across from this passage, as we've seen in the previous passage, that he's more than a miracle worker, though he's able to perform miracles. He is the restorer. He is restoring here a man's hearing in order to have restored the man's speech. But that spiritually means that Jesus is the great restorer of our persons. He restores our souls. He recreates us through his own power. He gives us an opened ear to listen to God. He enables us to speak to God as we were not able to do before or didn't want to do before. So as you see, Jesus, the restorer of this man in a physical sense... That's really presenting to us this wonderful, miracle-working Jesus as the Saviour who opens minds and opens hearts and opens ears, opens uh, hearing and opens tongues to speak. Let's look firstly at the man's condition as we find it described. Uh, Then we'll look at the Lord's treatment. And thirdly, we look at the uh, people's astonishment. Here's the man's condition, first of all, described for us uh, here by Mark. They brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on them. Now, this man's deafness, it seems that this man was deaf most likely from birth, uh, so that his attempts at speech would really just have been Uh, just some sort of sounds that would be very difficult to really distinguish unless you were very used to being with this person. In other words, the problem with his hearing is what left the problem with his speech. Because he was not able to hear, because he had that blockage in his hearing, then that meant he could not actually communicate and speak in the way that people without that problem obviously are able to speak. We're able to pick up from our hearing the language that we are brought up with, so that we're then able to communicate and speak in that language. The hearing comes first. The speaking comes next. The speaking is dependent on the hearing. If the hearing is defective, it's very likely the speech will have some measure of defect as well, depending on how uh, deaf anyone is. So the healing began with the hearing and then move to the speech. That's the order that we're given here as Jesus dealt with him, as we'll see. He first of all dealt with the hearing, put his fingers into his ears, and then he touched his tongue. That's the order of nature, if you like. The hearing goes ahead of the speaking. And so it is spiritually as well. That's exactly the same as the Bible tells us. 
And as you find it especially in the likes of Romans chapter 10, faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. That is one of our big human problems, isn't it? That we are not actually able or don't want to listen to God, to hear the voice of God. And because we are not in the practice naturally in our sinful self, of hearing the voice of God, we're not in the practice of speaking to God. We don't have the communication from God entering into our souls in a way that enables us to speak to God in fellowship, in friendship, in communion. And all of that really is highlighted, as you, as you see, spiritually by, by, that particular, uh, by this particular miracle. And so today, you see, what a great privilege we have that we are able not just to listen to the preaching of the gospel, to the Bible being read and able to do that for ourselves. There's a higher privilege than that because that itself is actually, while it's a great thing, it's not sufficient to bring us into that relationship with God where we hear him gladly and where we speak back to him. We need to have something just in addition to the mere hearing of the word. And I don't want to actually um, suggest that that's not a great privilege. We need to actually hear the voice of God speaking to us through his word, through his spirit, addressing our need, pointing out our need, bringing us to uh, the knowledge of Jesus himself, as I was saying to the children. That's really our great problem. We are not, by nature, listeners to God. And it's God himself who comes to open our hearing and therefore open our tongue spiritually so that we can communicate and gladly communicate with God. Isn't that the great privilege of your own life? Isn't that the one thing above all that you value in your life that you have been given, if you are today, I hope you have been given this communication from God that you've heard the voice of God through the gospel and that you, that you take delight in speaking to him in praying to him in seeking to praise him on a daily basis. That's one of our great privileges to know God in that living relationship that communicates with him and listens to him so that we speak back to him. Here is the man's problem. And you see, the people who brought him to Jesus, they begged him, they really urged him strongly, but you see, to lay his hand on him. They had their own view of how Jesus was going to deal with this, how Jesus was going to cure this man. And you can understand that. They probably had some experience. Maybe they saw Jesus doing things before, um, where he had laid his hand on people, uh, where he had touched them, and where he brought healing. And here they are saying, we urge, they were urging him to lay his hand on this man. In other words, they've, they've got their own idea as to what Jesus must do in order to cure this man. But you see, Jesus, although he did touch him, it wasn't just as they thought he was going to deal with him. And that's how it always is. Because... Uh, he deals with us in, in a different way as we are distinguished one from another in our experience of God. He hasn't come into your life exactly the same way he's come into my life. There will always be differences. There will always be variations, even though there are, uh, there are of course, common features in the sense that he uses his word, his own spirit is active in that. But there will be differences of circumstances, 
differences in which our, our um, background may be taken account of by Jesus. So there's that variety of ways of dealing with us. And yet it's really exactly the same in this sense that he comes to deal with our problem of our not being in communion with God. And so today, as you are listening to the gospel here, I pray that this will be your experience as well. That you will come, if you haven't already, to know how important it is to hear God. To hear God through the Bible, through your own reading of the Bible. As you come to it, pray that God, and saying this to the children especially, although I'm saying it to myself and to adults as well, because our life is in such a hurry a lot of the time, we find it difficult maybe at times to spend a little bit of time before we read the Bible just pleading with God, Lord, please give me to hear your voice. Don't let me actually read your word without hearing your voice speaking to me, addressing me. And that's what we want to be at all times in our interaction with the word of God. That we will actually hear God speaking and that we will be listening to him. So here's the, man's, here's the man's condition. And that takes us to the Lord's treatment. First thing you see is privacy. Then you find precision, and then you find power. Privacy, precision, and power in the treatment of this man by Jesus. Privacy, first of all, taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ear. After spitting, he then touched his tongue. You see, he took him aside, and I think that's really the way by which Jesus, taking him away from the crowd... Because he was obviously deaf and unable to communicate properly, Jesus wanted to focus his mind, to have his mind concentrated in such a way that he established a rapport between himself and Jesus. In other words, this is really Jesus securing a personal bond with this man. He wants to actually make sure that nothing disturbs his concentration while Jesus is dealing with him. That's exactly how it is in the way that he changes ourselves, the way he comes into your experience and mine. There may be somebody today here who is very much personally engaged with Jesus speaking to them, and it's to you as if nobody else is here but yourself. That's how it should be in that sense, that when Jesus comes to speak to us, we are very conscious then that there is this interaction between ourselves and him. It's a very personal thing. It's a very private thing in that sense. We experience that individual, personal touch of Jesus so as to establish this living relationship, this bond with himself. That's where it begins. And then, when he's dealt with us, he then joins us to the rest of his family, to all those others who believe in him and have come to know him. So today, this is really, once again, our privilege to have a private audience with Jesus. To have Jesus take us aside, as it were, even if we are gathered with others such as we are today, even if you're listening online today and sitting on your own, it's so important that Jesus will actually speak to you and you will listen to him. And you will come to to know that Like he did with this man, he's taking you aside deliberately. He's speaking to you personally for a particular reason 
so that you will come to be bonded to him, that you will come to be in a relationship with him that will be established forevermore as that between you and the Savior. There's the privacy in the Lord's treatment firstly, but then there's precision. And one of the things that we are uh, so thankful for is that Jesus never misdiagnoses a problem. He knew instantly what this man's problem was, and he knew instantly how to go about fixing it. Jesus never misdiagnoses our problem. Even if he's speaking to us somewhat harshly as it seems to us, if he's showing you today your sin for what, they, what, what it really is, if he's really emphasizing the nature of that sin, that you need that dealt with, the, the inherent wickedness of our heart, mine and yours, as we are as sinners, if that's what he's showing you today, please don't think that he's dealing with you in any other way than for your good. He has not misdiagnosed your problem. He's not overstressing it. He's not come to the wrong conclusion about us as sinners. He always diagnoses exactly what our condition is so that we will come to be treated by him in a way that meets that need exactly. That's what he's doing with this man here. But you notice the sequence that he followed. He first of all put his fingers into his ears. Now as we said before, he's dealing firstly with a problem in the man's hearing. And then after spitting, he touched his tongue with his finger. He's then dealing with the organ of speech, the tongue. That's the sequence that he's following. But why is he doing this? Well, I think it's really not so much to do with this being the means by which Jesus cured him, This is really essentially a matter of communication with the man. He's taking the man aside. He wants to concentrate his mind. And now he's using what's effectively sign language, which is what you need to do with someone who's deaf. Sign language communicates to them what's in your mind and you're trying to convey to them. And this is really Jesus' sign language for this man. And what he's doing basically is explaining to the man what's happening and how it's coming about. Because he doesn't just touch his tongue uh, and put his finger into his ears. You see, first of all, he looking up to heaven, sighed and said, Ephatha. So the man is really seeing all of this in his private audience with Jesus. He sees Jesus doing this with, uh, uh, with um, his fingers and putting him into his ears, then touching his tongue and then looking up to heaven so that the man is aware of where this power is coming from that's going to deal with him. Everything there is really for the man to begin to understand what the Lord is doing and how this cure has come about. And so it is when we are born again. When the Lord comes into your life to show you yourself and to show you your problem and to show you himself as the answer. This is exactly what happens, isn't it? You're aware that something is happening. Even if you can't explain it at the time, something is happening and it's a greater power than you have yourself. It's not the power of positive thinking. It's not the power of some philosophy or other that you've come to learn. It's the power of heaven. It's the power of God. It's the power of Christ. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the power of His truth as Jesus uses it. And you realize that it's from heaven. And you realize this is not of myself. 
And even you say at times, I don't know what's happening to me. Some people begin their Christian life like that. They're not able to explain or to really know what's happening. It takes a while for them to understand. But most of us have been brought up under the gospel. So we know what's happening when God speaks to us. When he actually comes to show us, this is God speaking to you. This is myself showing you your heart, showing you your need. It's from heaven. You realize that's not an ordinary communication. It's not an ordinary power. It's something that God himself is involved in. It's from him. And that's what a great encouragement that is for us in terms of our preaching of the gospel. None of us would ever enter into a pulpit if we thought that the effectiveness of our preaching was dependent on ourselves or our ability to speak to speak or to preach or on our understanding or whatever else it is is personal to ourselves. Our great encouragement in coming to step into a pulpit such as today is that it is God who makes his word effective. It's the power of heaven. It's the power of Christ the Savior that actually deals with our problem. And nothing else can do for you what that power can do or for me. It's a great encouragement to our witness to our evangelism, to whatever else we're doing in our service for the Lord, that it's from heaven that the ability comes. And because it's from heaven, it is bound to be effective. It is bound to actually result in God's own power recreating people spiritually, wherever he sees fit to do that. It's that precise. It's the precision that comes from He's taking us aside and privately dealing with us. But thirdly, you notice there's power. And you notice, first of all, he sighed uh, before the miracle took place. Looking up to heaven, he, he sighed and said, Ephatha. And uh, Mark here uses the word Ephatha, which is Aramaic, just to enable us to just have that word as Jesus spoke it. Ephatha. Uh, and if the man was, as he would have been, probably used to doing some sort of lip reading to try and um, follow what people were saying to him, well, this is a word where you mouth the word. It comes across very clearly as you mouth the word ephatha. Somebody lip reading would find it relatively easy to follow. Ephatha. And here is Jesus saying this, but he sighed, first of all. Now, we saw last time, uh, an element of this in, a, in the previous miracle. We refer to John as well, to John uh, uh, chapter 11, where Jesus comes to the grave of Lazarus. He, he groaned within himself. He sighed deeply within himself. Three times we find that mentioned in that passage in John. And remember, we said that uh, at that occasion, and it's really the same in this instance as well. It's an expression of Christ's sorrow, Christ's sadness over our sinful condition that the human beings that he had created had come to this, or in Lazarus's case, had come to being entombed in a sepulchre. You see, Christ, as he looks at our condition, or you might say God as he looks at our condition, he doesn't look at it dispassionately. He doesn't actually change our lives in a way that just simply, as it were, flicks a spiritual switch and that's all he has to do with it. Uh, Jesus has come here emotionally into the situation. He is moved by this man's plight. He is deeply moved in himself. He sighs deeply in himself. There's an element of the groaning there that's mentioned in John 11. 
And what a, what a wonderful, wonderful emphasis that is for us today as well as we sit here and uh, as we seek to listen to the voice of God through the gospel. We're not dealing with a God who is cold and indifferent and mechanical and just does things for the sake of it without being in some way or other engaged at all. The Lord is so engaged in our plight that he sighs deeply over it. He comes to show how it, as it were, has broken his heart that we have come to be the sinners we are. That we are subject and liable to death instead of living forever as he designed us to be. That's the Jesus, that's the God we worship. A God who has that view of us in our sinfulness, in our sinful need and our lostness. And there's so many places, as you know yourselves, throughout the Bible where that's brought out. Where you find rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. Where you find the father of the prodigal throwing his arms around him and welcoming him, clasping him to his bosom. He's returned. He's there. That's what I'm looking, looking forward to the father was saying. That is, a, that is a, a demonstration in parable of Jesus who receives sinners and eats with them. He doesn't just invite you today through the gospel to come and know himself and share with him and sit down with him at a spiritual meal and live forever. He just doesn't do that in a way, as it were, that just delivers you that notice coldly. Just listen to the love. Listen to the, the, the sigh with which he presents that to you. As if to say, well, I am so, so deeply moved at the fact of your lostness. What else could it be but being deeply moved in order to give himself to the death of the cross that we might be redeemed? So he sighed and then he put his fingers in his ears. Um, having, having done that, he sighed and said, Ephatha. You see, that's just one word, Ephatha. And it reminds you of something, doesn't it? Doesn't it remind you of what happened in Genesis, the record you have in Genesis of the creation of the universe, where you find there that um, as God began the creation of the ordered universe, he said, let there be light, and there was light. And all the way down through the chapter, you've got God saying something, and then it coming to pass instantly. The creative voice of God, the voice of God that brings things into being that did not exist till then. There's the same voice, the same power, uh, the same wonderful effectiveness of God in redemption as he is here with this man. Because this, this word be opened is really very much at the heart of our salvation, of our redemption. The expression really just reminds us not only of God's creation in the beginning, but how he foretold, as we saw in, in um, uh, the, the, the way in which we looked at Isaiah, we read Isaiah 35 and remember in that prophecy how it prophesies of God or Jesus opening the eyes of people, he says, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy, that's what you see fulfilled in this instant, in this incident and in Jesus himself, remember that is first of all in his own resurrection what is his resurrection? it's the opening of the grave it's death opening to his voice in order to release the body of Lazarus 
or whoever it was, like the young man of the widow of Nain, at that moment caught up and enclosed in death. Well, here is Jesus' one word, and it's changed. Death releases its grip. And then, of course, you find the same with the spiritually dead being brought to life. That's what happens when you're converted, when you're born again. God deals with our deadness, and he changes that. Ephesians chapter 2, verses uh, 5 to 6, and then verse 10. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, for we are his workmanship. There's God, the great craftsman who crafted the universe in the beginning in accordance with his own design and his own will. And what does he do when he takes a person who's dead in trespasses and sins? Well, he takes his design of salvation and he brings that person alive and he recreates that person in his own image so that that person comes to be a new creation. Same power, the same God. The same effect, the same result. And here is what this miracle teaches us. Uh, Jesus in the practice of opening lives. Opening things which were closed. Opening lives which were closed. And of course that goes through, right through to the day of judgment. In John 5, verses 28 and 9, we read, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming. When all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life. Those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Or as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That we may receive the things done in this body whether good or evil. How is that brought about? It's brought about through resurrection. Where the dead are raised to meet with the judge. It's not pleasant to think about that. It's not popular teaching. It's something that people don't want to accept, understandably, because it's such an awesome thing. And remember, for you as a Christian, it's such a wonderful prospect as well that in your resurrection from the dead you will come to meet with Jesus who is going to pronounce you righteous so that the whole universe will know what he has done in bringing you to know himself redeemingly on the other hand those who are not in Christ those who have done sinfully and have not been changed and didn't want to change will be raised to the resurrection of damnation or judgment. Hitler, Pol Pot, Mussolini, all the great dictators of the 20th century and previous centuries, and it may be centuries to come. People may think they've escaped justice. They've escaped judgment. Maybe they committed suicide before they could be tried, as in the case of Hitler. It's not the case. He will and we will all come to be raised from the dead so that we will meet with the Lord in his judgment. And it's a wonderful, wonderful prospect if you're in Christ and if not, it should fill you with dread. 
Because the same Jesus who is rejected in this life is the Jesus who judges us in the next. Oh, make sure today, friend, that you know him. That you've come to give your life to him. That you come to know that this Jesus is your transformer, your restorer as well. Because that's what really this is setting before us. And I want to finish this thirdly with the astonishment that the people showed. We've seen the man's condition and the Lord's treatment. And the people's astonishment is also brought out here. Jesus charged them to tell no one. They were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Now, I think there's something there as well that reminds you of the creation and the, the, the words of Genesis. We've already said that be opened reminds us of God's creative word then, bringing the world as it is into being. But also, he has done all things well, reminds you of what you find in Genesis chapter 1, where God looked at everything he had made, and it was all very good, all very acceptable to him. He has done all things well. See how it goes back to God's creative work And the result of that being what is pleasing to himself, what is beautiful for him to look at and for him to accept. That's what really this is reminding us as well of. That the work of redemption, the work of God's redeeming grace, the work of God changing lives to be like himself, is not just simply a marvelous, powerful, creative work. It's a work that's very good. That's absolutely beautiful. That fills us with astonishment. Because at the end of the day, it is a more wonderful thing, a more wonderful thing to remake what sin has broken into saints. To remake sinful human beings into holy saints than to create sinless human beings to begin with. That's what it amounts to. One of my favourite programmes on television is The Repair Shop. I'm sure you've seen, most of you have seen The Repair Shop. And when you come to see what's brought into The Repair Shop, and you look at it as it's brought out of the box or whatever and laid in front of, uh, of the craftsman or craftswoman who's going to try and repair it, you say, they will never. What are they going to do? How are they going to bring that together? Smashed up crockery? Or something that's so old and battered, you think there's no way that that's going to be anything like it was when it was first of all made in the beginning. But then you see, you see the craftsman, whether it's a silversmith or ceramics or woodwork, whatever, and it shows you just how they go about so patiently recrafting this, renewing it, putting it together, adding bits to it that need to be put together, and then. When the uncovering takes place, and you see it there in pristine condition, you'd think, I don't think that was ever broken. And very often you'll find the people who come for their object, who come back excitedly, you see what they've made of it, they look at it and say, how did you do that? I can't see the joins. How did you do that? Isn't that the case here? How did Jesus do this? Because he's Jesus. Because it's the Lord. 
Because he knows how. Because no one else can do it the way he does it. May God bless his, these thoughts on his word to us. Let's pray. Lord our God, as we bring before you our broken lives as sinners, we give thanks that there is restoration for us. And we give thanks that our restoration lies in your hands. Lord, we ask that you would take us today and remold and refashion us so that we will once again bear your image and that you will declare over us through your own grace at work that it is all very good. We thank you, Lord, for the way in which you are still changing lives in our world. We pray that our own lives may day by day be given to you so that your work of restoration may go on. Hear us now, we pray, and pardon our sin for Jesus' sake. Amen. Now we're going to conclude with a singing. I'm just going to be leading the singing. As you know, we're not allowed to sing uh, yet. And uh, may the Lord hasten the day when we are able to sing together as we used to and as we love. You can actually just go in your minds over the words as I'm singing them out. It's Psalm 145, the second version of Psalm 145 on page 444. And we're going to be singing to the tune Wareham. Verses 8 to 14. The Lord our God is gracious, compassionate is he also. In mercy he is plenteous, but unto wrath and anger slow. I need to wear this visor because that's part of the regulations. Although it does muffle one's voice. The Lord our God is gracious, compassionate is he also. The Lord our God is gracious, compassionate is he also. In mercy he is plenteous, but unto wrath and anger slow. Good unto all men is the Lord, or all his works his mercy is. Thy works all praise to thee afford. Thy saints, O Lord, thy name shall bless. The glory of thy kingdom show shall they and of thy power tell that so men sons his deeds may know his kingdom's grace that doth excel thy kingdom hath none end at all it doth through ages all remain 
The Lord upholdeth all that fall, the cast down raiseth up again. After the benediction, if you please just remain in your seats until you're directed from the building. And as already uh, mentioned previously, uh, please sanitize your hands when you're leaving and please maintain the distance between um, the bubbles that you're in um, as, you, as you leave of a two-meter distancing. And then we just go to our cars immediately. We don't gather outside for the moment at least. And uh, may the day come soon when we're able to re-engage in fellowship in that way outside as well. And to that end, we pray that this pandemic will increasingly disappear from our experience as human beings and that God will grant us that liberty through his own grace and through his own mercy. We'll stand now for the benediction. Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you now and evermore. Amen.